work is not limited. Uh, it's not limited geographically. It's not limited in number. He can do great and marvelous things all around the world. One place I got to go that was a surprise, I guess, or at least a maybe a unique joy to see was the country of Morocco. And I had heard about God's work in the country of Morocco through some missionaries who had been there. When some of the missionaries got there that I met, they met a man who had been a Muslim and had received Christ as Savior. His name was Saeed. Saeed means happy. And uh, I, when I got there and met him, he was very happy indeed. Saeed, an American missionary, went down to deliver a Bible to an inquirer who had asked for one, requested one. And so they took a bus down to the city where that person was. Unbeknownst to them, instead of the person they thought they were going to meet, they met that man's father, who was quite upset that his Muslim son was requesting a Bible. He stood there, received the Bible, and then called the police on Saeed and this American missionary. When they were getting back on the bus to go to their next place, the police came, grabbed their bags, confiscated their bags, and took them to the police station. At the police station, the American missionary was held for a few hours and then released, but Saeed was held um, overnight. The missionary went back and explained what had happened, and some of them had already known through some other contacts, but uh, people in the towns, the churches, they were praying for Saeed. They were concerned. They thought, oh, no, what's happened? He, he's overplayed his hand. He's, he's gone too far. He's, he stepped out too much. He was too bold. And uh, look what happened. Now he's in jail, and what's going to happen to him there? Well, Saeed, meanwhile, is in prison, and he's there in the jail, and he doesn't know that people are worried about him. He's thinking about his own situation there in jail. And uh, one of the prisoners that are there in the cell say, hey, why are you in here? What did you do? He said, well... Uh, I'm a Christian, and I was meeting someone to give them the Bible. He said, oh, what's a Christian? Can you tell me what that's about? Saeed said, sure, I can tell you what that's about. So he starts witnessing to the person in the cell there. Well, sure enough, all the people there start asking him. So he's preaching to this entire cell block of all these prisoners. He's so happy that he's getting to be a testimony, not knowing what's coming next, but he's getting to be a testimony there. Well, some of the guards overhear him witnessing to the other prisoners. And they look through his bags, and they find Bibles, and they find this film about the life of Jesus. So they say, hey, what's this about? And they hold up the film about the life of Jesus. He said, oh, it's a video that talks about Jesus and what he did while he was on earth. And the guard said, can we watch it? He said, sure. So they wheeled in a big TV into the prison cell, and they all sat down there, guards and prisoners, and they watched the Jesus film in the Muslim country of Morocco. The next morning, He had to go to court. He was taken into the court, and there was the man who accused him. And there was Saeed, and there was the judge. And the judge looked after hearing the whole case and hearing what had happened and all these things. And he looked at the man who accused Saeed, and he said, Saeed, he said to this man, sorry, he said to the man, he said, sir, instead of chasing these Christians all around the country, why don't you just teach your son to be a better Muslim, and then we won't have to worry about this. And he turned to Saeed and said, see, we don't know what to do with you. Uh, Can we give you official status as a Christian here in the country? Saeed said, sure, that'd be fine. So they took his documents, they turned him from a Muslim into a Christian and said, please be on your way, have a nice day, Saeed. When Saeed got out of the courtroom, he was on cloud nine. He was so excited, he was very happy. And he went back to his friends, and uh, when he first saw them, all the Christians said, Saeed, we told you to be careful. We told you it was going to be bad. We knew that if you stepped out too much, you'd go to jail and you'd be in trouble and it'd be difficult. Are you okay? Are you scared? Please don't do that again. And Saeed goes, what are you talking about? That was the best experience of my life. (laughs) The Lord's doing that kind of a work all around the world. And that's what you're part of. That's what you've joined into. That's what God's doing. 
And some people prayed for boldness and said, I want to have a bold testimony. When Brother David and I were out in Dublin yesterday, uh, it was wonderful to get to see some people who recognized him and look him in the face and say, wow, you're different. What's happened to you? And he said, I'll tell you what's happened to me. And he tells them. And it's a blessing. And God's doing this kind of a work. He's putting us in places where we can be like that. Where we can be a Saeed. Where we can be a happy Christian in an unlikely situation. Telling of God's great grace in our lives. And may that be what this year is like. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I want to read a rather lengthy passage. I hope you can bear with me. This is one of the parables that the Lord told, and this one's a bit long. Luke chapter 19, we'll start in verse number 12. Luke 19, starting in verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to, to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I didst not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not, that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now the Gospel of Luke contains a number of parables that have interesting little aspects to them. Sometimes it's a negative statement that just looks a bit odd. And if you can understand the negative parables and how the Lord uh, is using that technique to explain a principle, they can be very helpful and uh, increase our understanding. But what I want us to look at, and hopefully the title will help us see this, I want us to see tonight in this parable the good master and the bad servant. A good master... And a bad servant. May the Lord help us. Let's ask him now. Father in heaven, thank you that we can look into your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can see you work in this world, that you're not far away, that you can save, that you can forgive sins and give eternal life and give us a work here on earth to do. Thank you. Now, Lord, may we be the kind of servants that please you, that actually do what you'd have us to do that actually respond how you'd have us respond and actually accomplish your will. Help us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not sure how your businesses here in Ireland work, but in the United States, we will have sometimes a company that does very well in a particular year, 
and makes more money than they planned, has more revenue or whatever it may be. And so they'll give an end-of-year bonus to the employees. How many of you have that? You don't understand what I'm talking about at least? Okay. I want you to imagine that you're working for a company. Let's say you work back in the 90s or the 80s or in the heyday, and you work at Microsoft. And you're there in your office one day, and you get a knock on the door, and then comes Bill Gates. Bill Gates, the billionaire, comes into your office, and he's your boss, and you're nervous when he comes in, right? He comes in, and he says, hey, I have a job for you to do. I want you to take this million dollars of Microsoft's money, and I want you to go to this place and make this business and do this effort, and then uh, when you're done with it, um, uh, then I'll come and see how you've done. And he says, and, and by the way, um, all the resources of Microsoft are at your disposal. If you need people, if you need whatever equipment, we'll make it available. He said, and I'm going to give you all the support I've got to help you in this endeavor. And he walks out the door. And uh, you call your wife and you say, you're never going to believe this bad news. I've got this horrible thing I've got to do. Mike, Bill Gates just came in the office and he gave me this huge job and all this money. And I think I'm going to quit. What do you say? She says, go back to work. <laughs> no, it's exciting. And that's what Jesus has done. He said, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I have all power. He's making available to us to do what he wants, great things. Well, let's imagine you, you then engage yourself in the task. You take the million dollars from Bill Gates, and you go out and you do the work. You take the million dollars, and you invest it, and you make $10 million for Microsoft and Bill Gates. And at the end of a certain time, Bill Gates comes and says, okay, I gave you a million dollars, and you've made $10 million out of it. Well done. That's good. What would he do to reward you? What would a good end-of-year bonus be for that? What if he gave you 10%? This is a fun number to think about, right? This is fun to play with this. You took a million, you made 10 million. He says, you know what? I gave you a million. You made me 9 million. Here, keep a million dollars. Wow. That'd be great, yes. What if, he, what if he was, wow, just really having a great day and said, you know, not only did you do a good job, but I just really love you. <laughs> and I'm going to give you $3 million. Wow, never 30%. Impossible, right? But it, could he be a businessman and say, okay, you took a million and you made 10 million. Here, have all 10 million. Have 100%. No, it's silly, right? He would never do it. But what, how ludicrous would it be if he said, well, you took a million and you made 10 million. Here, have 10 billion. That's, that's silly, right? Never happened. But do you see what the master here does to these two servants who come to him? He, he gave out his money. He gave out the pound to each one. He said, okay, I give you a pound, first servant. Good job. And you took it, and you made 10 pounds. Uh, so you took this much, and you made this much. Here, have 10 cities. Whoa. 10 cities like Cork and Dublin and Thug and whatever else you want to call it, right? 10 cities. He said, here, take way more than you made. Wow. And here comes the second servant to the master. He says, okay, you gave me a pound, and I made it five pounds. He goes, oh, you did, five pounds. Why didn't you make ten pounds? What's wrong with you? That guy before you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to not give you anything. No, he doesn't do that. He says, okay, you took a pound, and you made five pounds. Wow, very good, well done. Here's five cities. Now, this kind of generosity cannot long keep you in business, right? <laughs> Bill Gates would be impoverished in a fortnight. He, couldn't, he could not do all that. So this master who's doing this to these servants is incredibly generous and good. He's doing something extraordinary. He not only is giving them money, but then entrusting them to work, but then when they do it, he's rewarding them royally. He's just that good, and he's that big. So I want you to imagine this scene. The master's here. These servants have come. They've presented what they've done, and the master rewarded them, and they're standing over here next to the master when the third servant comes up. 
And the third servant comes up and starts to impugn the master for not doing anything. When he did nothing, and he starts to blame the master. Could you imagine how furious these servants must be when they listen to that bozo say that? Can you say bozo? I hope that's not a... Anyway, all right. We say it in the States. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's totally off his rocker. What's he doing? When I was in university, Bible college, I was one of the um, assistants to the dean of men, and we had to enforce rules and do things like this. And um, one time we had a situation where some, some silly lads in the dorm did some foolish thing, and uh, they got in trouble. And what they had done, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't criminal, but it could have been a big deal. It might have caused a lot of problems. And so the dean of men was a bit stern with them and gave them a big punishment. We were having a meeting of the, all the assistants, and we're there around. The dean of men sitting here. I remember where I was. He was sitting over here. I was sitting here. And one of the other assistants who was responsible for the, that part of the, the dormitory where those boys lived, when the dean said, okay, here's what happened, and here's what I told them, and uh, here's what we're going to do, this other assistant looked at the dean and started saying, you know, you're way too hard on them. You gave them too hard of a punishment. You don't realize they're taking this really hard. They're really hurt about this. They really feel bad, and you're making it worse on them. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I want to punch you in the nose. I can't believe that they did that, and you're making him feel bad. He hasn't done anything wrong. They've done wrong. That's what these servants were feeling when they looked at that third servant. They were out there working. They were investing that money. They got some produce. The master was incredibly generous. And then here comes this third servant and says, Master, you're not a good master. What an intense scene. Let's look at the exact wording of what this man says. I want you to see three lies, three lies that unproductive servants believe. Three lies that an unproductive servant will believe. Look at what he says here. He comes to the master and he says, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. Four. Here's the first one. I feared thee. Lie number one. The, master, the servant says to the master, he says, I was afraid of you. Also, when I was in college, um, we had a, an enormous man. He was a mountain of a man. He was uh, six and a half foot tall, uh, he was, he was bodybuilder. He had huge arms and all these things. Just an enormous guy. And to give you perspective, I wasn't quite built like this at that time. But anyway, uh, I would see him at the end of the dormitory hall. We were friends. I'd see him there, and I would take off running straight at him. When I got about five feet from him, I would leap into the air, throw my entire body on him, and just bounce. <laughs> all right? This was a big guy. Uh, when I think of somebody that I would be afraid of harming me, I think of a guy like that, you know? If that guy, his name is Jamie. If I, if I saw Jamie and Jamie said, hey, Matt, go wash my car, Matt. And I'm afraid of Jamie because he's big and he's strong and he's hard and he wants me to go do something. If I'm afraid of Jamie, what am I going to do? You want me to wax it? <laughs> I wash it. I wax it. I give it to him. Because what? I'm afraid of him, right? If I was afraid of him, I would do what he wanted, right? But this servant comes to the master and says, you told me to occupy till you come. Instead, I hid it in a napkin and I buried it. I did nothing because I was afraid of you. It's a lie. It's a lie. He's not afraid of the master. Here's the truth. He doesn't like the master. He doesn't like what the master told him to do. He doesn't like what the, what the master wants to make him into. He doesn't like what the master is employing him to accomplish. And so he says, 
Lie number one, I was afraid of you. When in reality, he just hated him. He just didn't like him. We'll point out another aspect of this in just a moment. But this is an important thing. Because many people say, you know, I'm afraid of God. You are. You are. If you're afraid of him, then you'll believe on him. Psalm chapter 2 says, kiss the son quickly. Kiss him now when you're in the way, lest he be angry. Kiss him. Come and make peace with him. Come and do what he would have you do. Come and obey him. But most of the people who say, you know, I think God's just this big angry person in heaven and he's going to try and hurt me. You know what they're spending their time doing? Everything that would make him angrier. More unbelief. More indifference. More sin. You see, they don't have a bad master on their hands. They have a bad servant. And you and I do not have a bad God on our hands. He's not bad. He's, he's inexpressibly wonderful. He's good in every possible way. And he shows it over and over and over again. And one of the things that bad servants believe, or people who don't receive his goodness understand it, people who reject it, they say to him, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. When in reality, they just don't like it. Another way this plays out, and uh, it's an interesting way it plays out. When we talk about soul winning, and that came up a couple times here, being a bold witness, being ready to witness, being able to tell people what God's doing in your life. I've heard a lot of people say something like, well, I'm afraid to witness. I'm afraid. I know God wants me to tell other people about him, but I'm afraid to do it. And then after they realize that that's probably not the best way because the Lord's going to be with you. He's going to be with them. He's going to help them. It's okay. It's not so I'm afraid. I, I might mess it up. I might say something wrong. I might not do it right. Do you know... If you were afraid, if you were really afraid, you would at least try, right? Because you know he wants you to do it, don't you? If you were afraid of doing it wrong, you're afraid of displeasing him. Well, what would displease him more? You trying and saying it wrong or you not doing it at all? (laughs) So isn't it true that it really isn't that you're afraid of it, it's that you just don't like it? Now, we have some self-defense mechanisms in our head, and we trick ourselves into not seeing things that are right there in front of us. But the fact of the matter is this. If we tell ourselves, I'm afraid to go do what God wants me to do, we sound just like this servant. God's big, and God's strong, and God's powerful, and he can reward, and he can judge. And if we were afraid of him, we would do what he told us. The fact that we won't do it means we're not afraid of him. We just don't like it. We don't like the way it might make us act. We don't like the way it might change what we do. We don't like the way that it might require us to think differently or to behave differently or to live differently. And so we say, well, I'm afraid, when in reality we just don't like it. Look at the second lie he says. First is, I feared thee, when really he doesn't. The second thing he says is, because you're an austere man. Ah, this is a great one. He says, Master, I didn't work for you, even though you told me to. I didn't work for you, even though you gave me all this money. I didn't work for you, even though you put absolutely no pressure on me, and you actually left me to do whatever it was I wanted. I didn't work for you because you're hard to work for. (laughs) You're hard to work for. You're austere, man. You're difficult. You're difficult. Now, this is patently, prima facie evidence, untrue. We know it's not true. 
Because the master says, here's all this money and uh, just do what you're supposed to do with it. See you later. Is that a good boss or a bad boss? <laughs> Don't most bosses kind of hover over you saying, hey, wait, well, do that, do that, do that. Right? That would be a, an oppressive boss. That would be an austere man, one who has a high expectation. But this master says, here's the money. You know what to do. I'll see you in a little bit. I'll come check on you. That's a good boss. But it gets worse. <laughs> because this man's not saying you're hard in a vacuum. He's saying you're hard to work for in front of two people who have 15 cities in their possession now. <laughs> who've just received an incredible bonus for the end of year bonus. They've just received incredible wealth. He, they've just been handed over the authority over 15 cities. And this guy goes, you're hard. You're hard? He's not hard. He's the most generous master imaginable. Who says, you did this little bit. You made this little bit. And I'm going to give you all this. How good is Jesus? How good is he? You know the greatest negative testimony are Christians who say, he's just so hard. Jesus is hard to serve. He, uh, if I don't get it just right, he's going to zap me with a bolt of lightning. If I, if I don't do these things in the right ways, it's going to be, look, he's not hard. He's not hard. He's the most generous master imaginable. Any human master would be impoverished in a fortnight. But Jesus can give and give and give. I quoted this morning, Romans 8, 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Another verse of my wife, one of my wife's favorites, 1 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able, this is a wonderful verse. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things might abound into every good work. Now that's a lot of alls and everys. And if a person were saying those alls and everys, you'd say, well, he's just exaggerating. And he would be, but not God. If God says all grace, he means it. If he says abounding toward you, you say, who's me? I'm just this little nobody. Listen, he can put all of it right in your direction so that you always have enough to do everything he wants you to do. That's how good he is. And this servant knows that. He, he's looking at people who are recipients of that. And yet he still says, you're an austere man. You're hard to work for. This is a lie. A patent lie. What's the third lie he says? Look at the end of the verse. He says, you're an austere man. You take up, thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. Now, this is a physical impossibility. <laughs> no man ever harvested a field which they didn't put, first put seed down. But it's also patently true in light of what this man did for this servant who came and said, here's this money, and I'm not even going to bother you about it. Now, those are the three lies. Number one, I'm afraid of you. When the truth is, I just don't like you, Lord. Number, number two is you're hard to work for when really you're the most generous person there is imaginable. Number three is you expect too much when really he's so kind even to people who underproduce. Look at what he says to this servant. He says, 
you know that I'm like this. You're saying that I'm like this. This is the negative part of this parable in verse, verse 22. Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. It's as if he's saying, since you're saying that I was an austere person and I take up that I laid not down and reap that I did not sh- sow, since you think all that, wherefore then givest not thou, gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. Here's what Christ expected from this man. He didn't say, what's wrong with you, you bozo? I expected 10 times what you, I put in. Or he didn't say, hey, why didn't you do five times what I put in? He doesn't say that at all. He says, how come you didn't just give it over to somebody else who would then give you the pittance of some uh, extra income off of that investment? You see what he's doing here? He, he doesn't expect some great bumper crop where he didn't put anything down. He says, I would be okay with you if you had just done something. He said, if you had all of those wrong thoughts in your head and you were totally messed up about me, right? That's what this person is. He's totally messed up about his master. He has the entire wrong picture of the scenario. He has it entirely wrong. He said, look, if you just obeyed your own rules and did what the littlest, least amount... That would have made more sense than what you're doing right now. Romans 1 talks about how people make up their own rules about God. They turn and worship the creation rather than the creator who is blessed evermore. And then it says this, And who art thou, man, that judgest thy uh, thy brother, and you yourself fail? You make rules, I'm paraphrasing here, you're making rules for your own conduct and religion that you break. We often have these expectations of how things should be that are entirely misguided and wrong. But you know what? We're very firm about them, aren't we? We have these ideas of how our life should be and how people should interact, how they should treat us. And they're really quite wrong. But then we break our own rules. We cut ourselves slack, even with our own broken moral system. That's what Romans 1 and 2 are saying. And that's what this servant's doing. He's saying, I have all these things I know about you, master, but I didn't really act like I knew them. It'd be like a person saying, you know, I know that there's a holy God who expects me to be totally right and expects me to be pure and expects me to be free from sin in order to get to heaven. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and sin and then hopefully I can get to my deathbed and confess it before I die. You mean you have a God you have to confess to and you're playing a game like that? It's because you don't believe what you even said you believed. I was talking to my wife's family one time, and very dear friends and, and family. They're, they're family to us. I was talking to them, and they're from a traditional church. And this one uncle of my wife said, you know, Matt, you just go ahead and believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe. Have you ever heard that? Heard somebody say that, okay? I looked at him, and I said, you know, I was thinking, I, let me try and reach out and be nice to this person. I said, well... I said, Uncle, what is it then that you believe? Thinking, okay, I'll listen to what you have to say. At which he replied, uh, uh, I believe in the uh, Holy Church. And the... Okay, what's he saying? He's saying, look, I've got my system. Don't bother me. But I have no idea what it is. And I don't observe it myself. You know where they get that from? They get that from Christians. Who say, I have an infinitely good God who loves everyone, and I'm scared to death of him. <laughs> I have this God who gives and gives and gives and gives, but he's really hard to work for. 
I have this God who, who is so good and gracious and generous, but, but he really expects a lot out of me. That's where they get it from. They get it from us. You know, people who have this much understanding should be like those good servants who say, look what God's done for me. And I just, I'm not going to do it quite right, I'm sure. But I want to please him. I want to make him happy. I want to accomplish his will. I want to see what he wants done, actually done. There's an interesting contrast in this passage, and I know we're just looking at this one passage. I appreciate your patience as we stay here, but there's an interesting contrast between these first two servants over here and this bad servant over here, but there's another group, you know. There's another group altogether, and they're mentioned here in verse 14. When the master leaves, he gives the pounds to his servants, tells them to occupy. In verse 14, he says, his citizens hated him. They come right out. We hate you. We sent, they sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Here is a, a wholehearted rejection of the master. Why didn't that second servant, that third servant rather, join that group? Shouldn't he have? I mean, they just come out and say the truth. They're like, hey, what that master's about, we hate it. We hate it. We don't want anything to do with it. These two servants over here, they say, what that master's about, we love it. We want everything to do with it. And this guy here in the middle is kind of in between the two. He knows, he knows that he shouldn't be like those citizens who say, we hate the master and we will not let him reign over us. He knows that. And don't we? I mean, who would come in the church here tonight and say, I'm coming in here and I am announcing I hate Jesus Christ and I want nothing to do with him. We wouldn't say that, most of us. Most of us, there might be somebody, but most of us wouldn't say that, right? Well, why would we come here to say that? We wouldn't do it. But this person here in the middle, while he won't say it, is behaving like it. He's behaving like it. He's not embracing what the master says to embrace. He's not doing what the master says do. Oh, I could never say I hate the master. But are you living like it? He says he's a servant, but he's not serving. He says he belongs to the master, but he says he's afraid of him and he's hard to work for and he's difficult. Is that a servant? These lies come up in our hearts and minds. And we start to behave like the citizens who say they hated him. Look what happens to the citizens in verse 27. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. The master comes back and he says, okay, who, who's on my side here? Those citizens who reject wholeheartedly, they are destroyed. The servant who won't do what the master wants him to do, he loses all that reward and he really looks perilously close to those other people. It's a sad thing. What, what should it be instead? Should it not be like these other two disciples? And what's another, the other two, uh, these other two servants, forgive me, what's another passage that might help us see this? Turn over to John chapter 15, quickly. John 15, and then we'll close in just a moment here. John 15. Look at what this relationship is supposed to be like between us, between the people God has made, the people he saved, and their master. What is it supposed to be like? John 15, starting in verse 7. If ye abide in me, 
and my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even if I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And that's the place of servants with 15 cities who embrace the master's will, who accomplish the master's will, and who then revel in his joy. And he says, here it is, here it is, here it is. Look at how good he is. You have every reason to embrace God's plan for this year right now. You have every reason to say, Lord, I am so excited about saying yes to you. And I can think of no good reason to be either the servant who stands there and says, I'm afraid you're hard and it's not fair. I can think of no good reason to be him or the citizens who hate him. We're Christians. I believe most of us here trusted Christ as your Savior. Praise the Lord that we're not like those citizens who say we won't have him. That's good. But what a shame to be like that other servant. What a shame to, to make up lies about a God who loves you perfectly, who has done everything necessary to bring you back to him, to make you whole, to make you complete, to give you a home in heaven. He's done everything. Sometimes my children will come to me and they'll have some minor complaint, right? They'll be worried about something and maybe they skin their knee or something and, and I'll be looking at their brother or sister who maybe just got a stick in their eye, you know? So I'm trying to deal with things like that and, you know, make sure the one who really needs the attention, needs the help, is getting the help. God's not strained, and that's a good thing. But, you know, sometimes we say, but Lord, my, my, my knees get, my knees get, my knees get. Help fix this, help fix this. When really he's doing something quite bigger. He's making us better. We don't like how that feels sometimes. Here's a better example. My son, who's autistic, uh, he has some sensory issues and he doesn't like certain textures and feelings and things. One day my wife was in the church nursery and she was holding his baby brother and the baby vomited all over her. I mean, she's just, you know how that happens, moms, right? It's un unpleasant. It's all over the floor. It's all over my wife and a minuscule speck of it landed on my son's pant leg, like way over here, this little tiny bit. And my son is going ballistic. It's on me. It's on me. It's on me, you know? And my mother, my mother said, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to get this. And so one of the other nursery workers grabs a roll of paper towel and says, Josiah, quick. And Josiah goes, oh, thanks. You know, <laughs> and never mind this whole pile of stuff over here and my wife drenching, my wife's dripping, just laughing, you know. I mean, what can you do at that point? But look what he's doing. He's saying, oh, look at this little thing here. Oh, whew, that was close. <laughs> look, the Lord's getting you to a place where he can bless you with 15 cities like that, right? And that's how good he is. Along the way, some little thing like this happens and then you want to turn into this other servant, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't turn into a third service. I was on my way to 10 cities, but instead I'm going to get nothing and lose it all. What? No, no. Don't do that. God's bringing you through to great and big things.
Don't be like the citizens who say, I reject him out of hand. I don't want him over me. Don't do that. He's this good. He's provided all this. Embrace him tonight. Say yes to him tonight. And this year, be it characterized by you being a good servant for the best of masters. Would you stand with me before the Lord? We'll bow and close in prayer in a moment. Let's stand together, though. We'll have the pianist come up and we'll play a song in just a minute. Let's do that 472 we had done before. But let's bow here and let's think here a second. Does that third servant sound at all like you? Eaten up with fear and misjudging the Lord and not accomplishing what he wants to accomplish? Or would you say, you know, whatever I was right now, I want to be like those first two servants. In fact, I really want to be like the first one. I want to accomplish the maximum I can with what Jesus has given me. You say, I'm leaving off those misconceptions. I'm leaving off those, those bad ideas about him. And I'm going to embrace it and work for him the way he's planned by faith. Would you like to start off this year overwhelmed by God's goodness and producing something commensurate with that great grace that he's giving you right now? It's ahead of you to do. Would you say, yes, that's my prayer. I want to be a good servant. And go away from that bad servant mentality. Anybody say that? That's me. Raise your hand. Anyone? Okay. We'll have an invitation. You come. Say, Lord, I'm coming to you right now. I want to be characterized by that. I want to stand there with joy before you. Receive your rewards. Anyone say, you know, tonight I'm like one of those citizens. I've been rejecting the Lord out of hand. And it's concerning me right now because I see the judgment and I'm concerned about it. I don't want to reject Jesus. I want to understand this. Anybody say that tonight? I want to understand how I can know Jesus is my Savior. Is anyone like that? That needs more understanding? Needs someone to explain the scriptures to them? That needs to embrace Christ? And Christians, I'll pray, and as I pray, you prepare yourself. Talk to the Lord, and then come forward. Tell the Lord what it is, how it is that you want to serve him with all your heart. Father in heaven, thank you that you would even want to use us in your work. What an amazing thing. And Lord, we often can get the wrong idea of you or what your work means for us right now. But Lord, you are so good, and we have so many wonderful examples both from your word and from our own lives, of people who are happily serving you and will at one day, Lord, reap a rich reward. Please give us eyes that see that, to see what you see, and to fulfill your will in our lives and in this world. Thank you for the opportunity to work for you and with you. Would you help us, Lord, this year, right now, to say yes to your will and to work by your grace, for your glory in this world. I ask it in Jesus' name. As the instrument plays, you come. Commit yourself to the Lord.